Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective, and our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, more from the Orlando radio station WPOZ Z88. Troubles there are causing many in the Christian radio industry to look in the mirror. And is prosperity gospel preacher Andrew Womack trying to take over a Colorado town? We begin today with big news about Russell Moore. Yeah, Russell Moore is resigning as president of his denominations, that's the Southern Baptist Convention, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Moore will be joining the staff of Christianity Today. In his new role, Russell Moore will lead a public theology project, said Tim Dalrymple, who's the president and CEO of Christianity Today. That project will host events and gatherings about public theology, as well as publish content, including Moore's own writings and his Signpost podcast. Moore will begin his new role this summer. Now, Warren, you know both Tim Dalrymple and uh, Russell Moore. Do you have any thoughts about this move? Well, I do. First of all, I'm a huge fan of both men. When I heard the news, my thoughts were that I was both surprised and this makes a lot of sense. Tim Dalrymple has been president of Christianity Today for only a couple of years now, but he has already made some bold moves there. And this is certainly one of the boldest. For him to get Russell Moore is a real coup for the Christianity Today organization. And I think it's fair to say that Russell Moore has in many ways outgrown uh, his role at the Southern Baptist Convention. This new position will allow him to be a spokesman for all of evangelicalism and not just for that portion of evangelicalism that we call the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, do you think that Moore's position on Donald Trump has anything to do with this move? He's been uh, pretty steadfast in his criticism of Trump. Yeah, I don't think there's a direct cause and effect going on here. Uh, In other words, Moore did not leave the ERLC because of his position on Trump. But I don't think that there's any doubt that his position, which is that he was a critic of Trump, is a minority view within the SBC and even many in the Southern Baptist Convention's leadership. But I should also add that Moore had survived several attempts to have him removed or to have his budget cut in recent years. So I don't think he's being driven out of the Southern Baptist Convention by any stretch of the imagination. And Christianity Today has been an equally steadfast critic of Donald Trump. So I think you'll find greater alignment on that position, at least between these two. Uh, However, I think that the Trump angle in this story, while it may be emblematic, was not the driving force. Russell Moore had been with the ERLC for eight years, which is a fairly long tenure. He'd accomplished a great deal while he was there. In my view, this move just makes sense for a whole lot of reasons for both parties involved. Our next story concerns a Christian radio station in Orlando, Florida. WPOZ, sometimes called The Z, has fired at least two employees for speaking out on the work environment there. Yeah, on the day that Ministry Watch posted a story that identified concerns at this radio station, one of the staff members who commented in the story was fired 
via a text message from the station's president, Jim Hogue. Jim Davis was that staff member's name. He was the underwriting coordinator, the traffic coordinator for the station. He had also been an on-air talent, and until his firing this week, was um, doing voiceovers and editing for the station as well. He had been an employee for 23 years, nearly the entire uh, life of that radio station's existence. He told Ministry Watch that Jim Hogue's attempts to get another Christian radio station to abandon its plans to enter the Orlando market was a tipping point for him. Uh, That's an episode that we reported on at Ministry Watch probably about three weeks ago now. Uh, According to Davis, I felt that he was lying that there was no intention of switching our format or our name. Even worse, he was asking us to go along. Davis said that the net effect of that episode was that um, he has taken us to a new level of low. We are a laughingstock in the industry now. And James Davis wasn't the only person fired. Yeah, perhaps the most high-profile departure was that of Carter Kenyon. Uh, Kenyon had served both as a board member and, until his departure, he was the director of ministry advancement uh, for the Z. It was a role that he had held since 2011. What did Jim Hogue or the radio station have to say about their firings? Well, Ministry Watch attempted to contact Jim Hogue for comment. However, the station has now engaged Sarah Brady, whose public relations firm specializes in crisis communications. Ministry Watch asked Brady why uh, James Davis was fired using a text message and if he was fired for comments that he made in the Ministry Watch article. Um, We also asked if Z Ministries would be making any changes to its management structure and practices to take into account the concerns that Carter Kenyon and James Davis and many others uh, at the station had raised. But so far, we've not received any response to those questions. But I take it that others in this industry are speaking out. Yeah, they are. And they're saying that while many Christian radio stations are just fantastic organizations, the kind of work environment that uh, we've seen at the Z um, is unfortunately a regular occurrence in Christian radio. Uh, They say that a lot of Christian radio stations were founded kind of at the beginnings of the contemporary Christian music era in the late 70s and into the 80s. And they're now facing founder succession issues. They say that the fact that Most of these cities have only one Christian radio station also contributes to the problem. I'm not sure I quite understand that. Can you explain that more? Well, yeah. I mean, if you love Christian radio and you're working for a Christian radio station, if you want to stay in the Christian radio industry, you don't have a lot of options uh, if your work environment deteriorates. You can either uproot your family and take off for another city, or you just have to learn to tolerate things that you might not otherwise be willing to tolerate. Over time, a lot of great people who are committed to Christian radio have come to believe that a toxic work environment is just sort of the price you pay for working in Christian radio. And by the way, this week's Ministry Watch Extra episode is devoted to this very topic. I interview industry veteran Brant Hansen, who has spoken out about some of the practices in the Christian radio business, and I think it's a conversation that's really worth listening to. Our next story involves a missionary organization raising money for work in the Philippines. 
Yeah, as part of his outreach to the Philippines, missionary Doug Nichols is requesting $19 donations to provide life application study Bibles and a seminar on how to use them to about 41,000 untrained and undertrained pastors in this country. I've seen these kind of fundraising appeals before when when you can break it down to a figure like $19 for a Bible and 39 to sponsor a child for a month. The appeal for funds is easy to understand. They are. That's right. Um, that's why it's become pretty common, uh, especially in missions organizations. We've written in the past about how the Bible translation uh, organizations uh, break down their efforts into bite-sized pieces. Illuminations, uh, for example, says that it can translate a single verse of the Bible for $35. Wycliffe Associates said that it could translate the New Testament for less than $20,000. Well, is there anything wrong with doing a little math for the people and helping them see where their donations are going and what they're doing? Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with it as long as the math is accurate. It's not funny arithmetic, you might say. Um, and often it's really hard to tell. This is especially true with missionary sending organizations. If you look at their financial statements, they often look pretty good. Uh, CTEN, for example, the organization that we looked into for this Philippine story, say that they spend only about 7% of their funds on administration and only 1% on fundraising. Wow, that sounds pretty fantastic. Well, it is fantastic. And if that was the whole story, uh, you would think that organization would just be great. Uh, that's why, in fact, that C10 gets a five-star financial efficiency rating from Ministry Watch, and that's our highest rating. So what's the problem? Well, th this fundraising appeal didn't come from C10, uh, but from the individual missionary doing the work in the field. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's hard to know who paid for it and how much time and money the missionary, who is supposed to, after all, be doing missionary work, is spending raising his own support and other funds for his projects. So we really don't know how much is being spent on fundraising despite these reported numbers. Yeah, well, having the numbers is better than not having the numbers. But yeah, essentially, that's exactly right. We don't know. A lot of mission sending organizations appear simply to have transferred a lot of the fundraising activities onto the individual missionaries who are raising their own support from their own networks. And there's no real accounting for how much time the missionaries are spending actually doing fundraising. That activity, those expenses don't show up in the fundraising raising costs for the sending organization. That's why Ministry Watch is going to be taking a deeper dive into this whole notion of support raising in the months ahead. It's important for donors to know how much time is really spent on fundraising and money throughout that process. Well, Warren, we need to take a break here, but when we return, news about TV preacher Andrew Womack. We look at his comments about taking over the Colorado Springs suburb of Woodland Park. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. 
Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now let's continue with the story of Andrew Womack and his ministry that's growing in Woodland Park, Colorado. Yeah, in 2014, Andrew Womack moved his uh, health and wealth prosperity gospel ministry from Colorado Springs to the nearby town of Woodland Park, which, Natasha, I know you know, is just west of the Springs. Yes, I was hiking there just this last weekend. (laughs) He launched Karis Bible College, which now has 600 students. And when you add the 500 staff to Karis and his other ministries and their families, that means there are a couple of thousand people associated with the ministries in some way or another. Yeah, and now he would like his followers to run the city and the surrounding Teller County, or at least that's what he said in a recent Citizens Academy conference that he hosted there in April. He said, and I'm quoting here, man, as many people as we have in this school here, we ought to take over Woodland Park. Now, Warren, are you sure that he wasn't just joking or throwing off a comment in the heat of a moment? Well, it's a good question, and I think it is important that we not read too much into it, Um, but I don't think that um, that statement stands alone. He's made similar statements in the past. Uh, One of the graduates of Karis, in fact, is on the local school board already, and Andrew Womack has helped found the National Association of Christian Lawmakers, which is designed to bring lawmakers together in support of clear biblical principles. And Womack noted in that same talk that Teller County has only about 25,000 people, and some school board elections are decided by less than 100 votes. So is there anything wrong with what he's doing? Well, not no, not that I can tell, um, but it is generating some consternation in the area. And by the way, I should also add that you know I'm very much in favor of Christians getting involved in the local politics, but I think the way we do it really does matter. And opposition to Andrew Womack's comments are starting to fill up the letters to the editor pages in the local newspapers. Andrew Womack may discover that being a good neighbor might move more hearts and minds towards the gospel than simply defeating them at the ballot box. Yes, that's always a good thing to remember. And speaking of being a good neighbor, you posted a story this week about Christian colleges and churches serving as COVID vaccination sites. Yeah, uh, day after day, in fact, long lines of cars have been stretching out across the parking lot of College Hills Church of Christ in Lebanon, Tennessee, which is fairly near Nashville. It's been a vaccination site since January. In fact, more than 22,000 people have received vaccinations at that church since it opened. Uh, Could add to that list Abilene Christian University in Abilene, Texas, Freed Hardman University in Henderson, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Christian University in Oklahoma City. They've all worked as uh, vaccination sites in recent months. And Franklin Graham continues to speak out in favor of the vaccine. 
That's right. Uh, Franklin Graham pleaded, in fact, with evangelical Christians to get vaccinated against COVID-19 in an interview with Axios and also a story that ended up on the front page of the Washington Times. It's um, part of his effort to get people to know that COVID-19 can kill you. Those are his words. But we have a vaccine out there that could possibly save your life. And if you wait, it could be too late. Now, Franklin Graham, of course, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, is the president of the relief organization Samaritan's Purse. And while we're talking about Grahams, there's another Graham in the news. Yeah, Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth Graham, and I want to be clear here, Ruth and Billy Graham are were husband and wife. They were married. But Ruth Graham is also the name of Ruth and Billy's daughter. We've had some confusion about that from some of our readers on the website, so I want to make sure I get that clear. Uh, Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth Graham, has signed on to lead a 14-week study on forgiveness as part of a seminary program for women that are incarcerated in the Mississippi Department of Corrections prison system. Uh, Graham will talk about growing up with an absent parent, talking about Billy Graham, as her father traveled extensively during his 50-year career as an evangelist, and about what it means to forgive and to move on. Graham is also the author of a book, Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself. Up next, a National Child Abuse Prevention Organization has accused a Greenboro, North Carolina church of bullying and threatening families and withholding information connected to an incident that led to the late 2020 conviction of a former employee on child pornography charges. Yeah, that employee's name was Allison Brooke Saunders. She was 25 years old and an assistant teacher at Fellowship Presbyterian Church's Fellowship Day School. That's a PCUSA uh, church, by the way, for those of you that are keeping score on those kinds of things. Uh, She was convicted of using five children at the daycare facility to create sexually explicit images and videos, and then sending those videos and images to a co-conspirator who would then sell them and they would get distributed. Um, That was according, of course, to the U.S. Justice Department who brought the case against Saunders. And Saunders was sentenced last month to 50 years in prison, followed by 20 years of supervised release. Yeah, and on March 25th, in a letter that was posted on the school's website, uh, the pastor of Fellowship Presbyterian Church, Dr. Catherine Campbell, said that the school would not open for this upcoming school year, 21-22 school year, because as a result of what happened there, it had lost its insurance. Um, Although another company had agreed to insure the school, she said, the church doesn't consider the coverage to be adequate for them to reopen. The letter says families were shocked and saddened by what apparently happened, but the community rallied around the staff and fellow families to grow stronger together. But apparently that is not entirely the case. No, it's not. She was definitely painting a a face on that um, situation that uh, not everyone shares. In fact, the California-based Coalition for Institutional Child Abuse Prevention said that during a press conference last week that the church had made little effort to share information about the case with parents whose children had attended the school during Saunders' tenure, and that the church had reacted with hostility uh, when these parents 
warrant sought answers. Now, this was reported in the Greensboro News and Record, by the way. The coalition's executive director, Loxie Gant, said at that press conference that multiple families said that they had been bullied and isolated by the church. Now, of course, the church has a different story. In a written statement, Campbell and other church officials denied acting in a defensive manner and said that the parents were giving all available information except the identities of the victims themselves. Uh, Gant expressed concern that the investigation into Saunders, though, wasn't thorough enough because not all of the children attending the school at the time were screened for possible signs of abuse. The church again said that it had an open door, open book approach to this situation, saying that while Gant's concerns were well-intentioned, her information was inaccurate and incorrect. Lauren, we have to take another quick break, but when we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of short news brief. So what's up first? Well, what's up first is a new study saying that total giving to charitable organizations increased in 2020, bucking a multi-year trend downward. But the rise was due largely to more people giving small amounts to pandemic-related causes. The health and human services category uh, showed the most strength in giving last year, uh, reflecting the increased demand for COVID-19 services and response to social justice issues. And you've got the results of another study about giving behavior. Yeah, Americans' generosity didn't waver during the 2020 uh, phase of the COVID pandemic, but there were some shifts in giving behavior, at least among the most affluent Americans. Overall, giving held steady, but the behavioral shifts were seen in an increasing um, level of support for local organizations and increase in unrestricted gifts to virtually all nonprofit organizations and an increase in virtual interactions between donors and nonprofits. In other words, less face-to-face meetings. Those are just some of the preliminary findings from the 2021 Bank of America Study of Philanthropy, Charitable Giving by Affluent Households. It was a nationwide survey done of more than 1,600 affluent households. These are households that have more than a million dollars in net worth or more than $200,000 a year in annual income. It was conducted in collaboration with the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at the University of Indiana. And who do you have in the ministry spotlight this week? 
Well, this week we've got the National Center for Sexual Exploitation. You know, we've been covering a lot of organizations that are involved in um, the sex trafficking world, trying to prevent sex trafficking. Uh, This one, the National Center, began in 1963. Um, You might say it's sort of the granddaddy of all the sex trafficking organizations, and it exists to defend human dignity and to advocate for a world free from sexual exploitation, objectification, and violence. It has a budget of about $2.5 million a year, and you can take a deep dive into the mission and to the finances of this organization by going to ministrywatch.com. And who are you featuring in the Ministries Making a Difference column? Well, the National Bible Bee uh, launched its eight-week summer study program, or it will launch it on June the 7th. This is a Bible study that will uh, cover the topic of witness, being a witness. It encourages Bible reading, study, memorization, and community. Uh, Some of our listeners may know that the National Bible Bee has really only been around for a few years, but it has kind of taken the world by storm. It, It was first embraced in the homeschool community. Many thousands of kids between the ages of five and 18 uh, participate in the National Bible Bee every year, and they'll have a chance to qualify for the National Bible Bee competition, uh, where the top 120 students in each age division can compete for more than $100,000 in prize money. That might explain why it's become so popular. Uh, The national competition, by the way, will take place this year in Covington, Kentucky. And what else do you have for us? Well, Medical Teams International is partnering with World Vision and Airlink to ship medical supplies to hospitals in uh, Ethiopia's Tigray region, where an estimated million Ethiopians have been displaced due to violence and conflict uh, within the past two years, really since November of 2020, so less than a year, as a matter of fact. Also, Springboard Home, an addiction recovery program in Tucson, uh, provides counseling and care for teen girls seeking healing from addiction and trauma. It's a three- to five-month residency program that is a part of the Assemblies of God. And uh, we've got uh, more information on that this week on the website. And finally, Mission Eurasia, which is an organization that we feature frequently here at Ministry Watch, is preparing its summer Bible camps as well for uh, students with little access to the gospel. They expect to have 18,000 students as part of their program this year. Uh, They'll reach unreached regions in Siberia, Ukraine, Armenia, and from other Muslim regions in um, Asia. Each child will receive a Bible and be invited to connect with small Bible groups and local churches. Now, before we go, do you have any quick notes? Well, just a reminder that Faith-Based Fraud is now out. The book and paperback and ebook versions are available. You can find them by going to Amazon or your other uh, favorite online uh, book retailer, if it doesn't happen to be Amazon. Uh, I hope you'll get a copy today. And I also uh, want to let you know that 100% of the author royalties for this book go to Ministry Watch, not to me personally. So buy a copy for yourself and get one for your pastor. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Rod Pitzer, Paul Clolry, Emily McFarlane Miller, Charlie Isson, Ann Stike, Steve Raby, Bob Smetania, and you, Warren. And thank you to Nonprofit Times and the Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. <laughs>